0: Kumar, I am a scientist at Armed Forces Radio Biology Research Institute and I'm here with Dr. Amrita Chima who has uh, won a JW Osborne Award for RRS 2018. Uh, welcome Dr. Chima. Thank you Vidya. And Dr. Chima is, um, is a professor at Georgetown University Medical Center and she has a beautiful story to share for all of us. Dr. Chima, to begin with, congratulations on your award. And uh, tell us a little bit about the work that you uh, got the award for.
1: Right, so um, I think it, you know, uh, it takes a village, I would start by saying that. So the reason I'm here today and I've won the award is because of um, absolutely um, you know, critical and fantastic, in many ways, collaborations that I've built over the years in Radiation Research Society. And so my, I, I come from a very interdisciplinary background. My research is focused mainly on looking at biomarkers of radiation exposure, either incidental or accidental exposure to radiation. And in my lab, we use molecular phenotyping technologies such as proteomics and metabolomics. So we do a lot of small molecule profiling. And so the work that I got recognized for is, uh, is you know how. Um, how metabolomics adds value to uh, discerning harmful effects of radiation exposure much earlier than um, phenotypic changes become really apparent. And that's what I would be talking about in my lecture tomorrow.
0: Oh, we would be uh, waiting for that lecture. Thanks. Now that you mentioned metabolomics, these are very recent technologies that have come up. Did you always prepare to go for recent techniques? How did you know that you have to focus on metabolomics?
1: That's a great question because I never planned for it. So, in fact, by training um, as a grad student, I, I'm a molecular biologist. Oh, wow. uh, my PhD is in biotechnology. I specialized in genetic engineering. Uh, I came to the United States as a postdoctoral fellow specializing in molecular biology, but it just happened that the lab that I was in, which was Andrew Kwong's lab, was an interdisciplinary lab and they were doing a lot of mass spectrometry and they hired me because of my cross-cutting expertise Uh, but then i uh, learned in in um, you know being in that lab i learned this technology and over time i was asked by the cancer center director to take it to the next level by converting that lab into you know a service facility that would actually develop and impart technological services to all of the investigators. So that's how I got into it, never really planned for it. And it's an amazing journey over the past 15 years where we've literally added technologies as they have become available to researchers. And I'm really glad that this is now being used in radiation research. As you know, radiation research was, in the classical days, never used omics. But now we see more and more use of it, and that's why I'm here.
0: So your, your field of science is not really limited to radiation biology. It's, it's, it can be used by other aspects of science as well. Yes. So your entry into radiation biology or looking at markers of radiation injury, when did that start?
1: Right, so um, the Cancer Center Director at the time that I, um, I joined was Dr. Anatoly Dricholo, mm-hmm. who has been a long-standing member of the Radiation Research Society. And he's the one who actually mentored me into radiation biology. And um, I started off with an in vitro system. It was uh, looking at how ATM, which is Mm -hmm. a master mediator of radiation response, uh, how perturbations in that single gene Mm -hmm. actually uh, impact metabolism. And that was one of the first studies that we published, which used a systems biology approach. So we actually showed integration of metabolomics transcriptomics and proteomics and were able to show there are certain pathways that are commonly dysregulated, no matter which cellular expression level you look at. So that's how it started. And you know, over the last 15 years we've just sort of built upon it. And now we are at a stage where we actually got funded by NCI on an SBIR mechanism to look at biomarkers that could be built to predict recurrence episodes in prostate cancer patients that receive radiotherapy for example. So really the the application of metabolomics is as it's, wide,
0: it's wide as you yeah, can yeah, think. Exactly. Is oh wow, thing? but this sounds very heavy. This requires a lot of time yes. and a lot of updating of knowledge constantly. Absolutely. So my next question is how do you manage this? because a lot of our viewers would like to know that how do you, I'm sure you don't have more than 24 hours in your day. If you do, just let us know how we get that because a lot of us would love to have that. So could you please just help us out to see how you would have managed all this at the same time?
1: Yeah, so I don't want to make it sound very rosy but because, in fact, it is a lot of hard work. Oh, and you have to sacrifice a lot of yourself, especially when you trans, you know, uh, transgress. So coming from one field and going completely into a different field is, is a major change, which requires a lot of learning, uh, a lot of adaptation. But it's very rewarding because, uh, you know, uh, you're going into a field which is new, which is cutting edge. And you have the potential of building in a lot of collaborations, bringing in a lot of funding for to support your research. So, yes, so I, I think that initial uh, four or five years, I would say, were extremely difficult because you're trying to uh, you know, set up this facility, trying to introduce as many technologies as possible. and then, as you said, just updating them as they become available. So one of the things that we have done in the lab is that we have, Uh, what is called as uh, applications users meetings Mm -hmm. so we invite people from the industry i have built a very strong industry academia partnership so we have people from the industry coming all the time to tell us what is new and how it can be applied to research and you know and then we have this uh, survey within all of the investigators to see if there's a critical mass that would like this technology to be applied and then we, deci- we make a decision as to whether we should be either replacing or adding, uh, you know, replacing meaning replacing an obsolete technology with a newer technology and make this available to, to our users. So that's really one way of how we
0: have kept up. So with the key the word is collaboration.
1: Absolutely.
0: And this is the science. This is your career path. Yes. How did you manage the career path and your family? Now, there are two aspects that I see in this that you changed your field of science, so you reskilled yourself and you changed your country. You came over to a newer country to establish yourself. And I believe you have your family along, so you would have to manage that role as well. So how did you manage changing your hat so well and at the same time keep up with the science and your career path going the right direction?
1: That's a great question. So I think as a woman, you it's especially relevant because balancing your work and your family is, very, is important. very important and very difficult at the same time. I so see. when we came to this country, my son was just about five years old, uh, a kindergartner, and so it was hard. Uh, but you know, you, you um, go through those times only and only with family support. So I have to, uh, you know, give the due credit to my husband who was very supportive, and I think we just took up the responsibility in every sense. We shared everything that we had to um, care and look after, including my son, home, groceries, running errands, right? And then the other part is time management. So you say, all right, I have to give this much time to my family, make sure my house is up and running for the entire week, and then I need to get back to the lab and spend rest of my you know, Saturday or Sunday just making sure that my experiments continue and I, I can get my uh, work done, right? Also, it means burning a lot of midnight oil to get your papers written, because ultimately your scientific productivity is based on how much you publish and how many grants you write and how many uh, grants you actually get, right? So that requires a lot of uh, sacrificing, uh, less of socializing, right? But I think in the end, when I look back, it's, it's been a very rewarding experience. So I don't regret much of it. Also, one thing that I've realized is, I remember uh, when my, my son was just about Five or six years old, mm-hmm. we, he would study, and I would, you know, work on my papers. And he didn't know what I was doing, but he knew I was doing mass spectrometry mm-hmm. because he used to he- hear that word often. And he would say, "If you have any problems, just ask me." You know, <laughs> oh, and, <laughs> that is very sweet. Yeah, and he would—he actually, you know, inculcated respect uh, over time. Even if you don't give—if you're not able to give them all the time in the world—they have this healthy respect for you that my mother is sincerely trying, you know, to to get her work done as well as
0: trying to be with me. So over time it pays off. Oh that that's very wonderful. And so it is not a cakewalk as I see, but it is very doable. So a lot of us who are actually trying to be on that path and are at a decision moment where whether we go over to the career path or we just look after our families. So your example actually states that we we could try doing both and Absolutely we will be successful looking at your uh, career Absolutely. path. Absolutely. There's another thing that I uh, came to know of while I was talking to you earlier, was your interest in uh, promoting women who would want to come back to their career paths yes. after taking a break. Uh, would you tell us a little bit more about sure.
1: that? Sure, so I can tell you an instance where, so in, in general, you know, I get at least three or four good applications, email applications, uh, people who are looking for a postdoctoral position and so on, they, they will they will email me. And many times, you know, I will look at it, many times I will delete it if I think it's irrelevant. But there was this lady who was persistent, she was trying to um, get even a volunteer position. And I, I did not have any open slots, so I didn't take it seriously until she wrote in her subject line, trying to make a comeback after leave of absence. And that really caught my attention and I looked at her resume for the first time. I realized she had a PhD in analytical chemistry, specialized in proteomics. And then uh, she did a postdoc for two years and then she took a break to raise family and for a substantial amount of time, almost six years. And now her kids, both her kids are in school and she wants, you know, she's trying to make a comeback, but nobody would give her a fair chance. And so I actually just picked up the phone and I called her and I said, uh, you know, I don't have an open position, but would you consider just volunteering for right, right now and, you know, get your skill set updated? And we will see if you fit in. We will try to get some uh, position for you. That will be great. And she was there the next day. And today she's a full time postdoctoral fellow in my lab and she's applying for care awards and so on. And so I think that it's very, as a woman, it's very important. To help other women, because you're the one who's supposed to understand what it takes to, uh, you know, to balance family and work. And so, if you ha- if you are in a position where you can help, uh, you should. And so, I have tried to do that. Uh, if you believe in women empowerment, you have got to demonstrate it. And so, I encourage all my colleagues to to make sure that you know you you help people where you can.
0: That was very nice uh, talking to you, um, Dr. Chima. Is there anything that you would like to give us young researchers um, regarding getting into new fields, looking at radiation research at a different angle, because proteomics is such a new uh, science comparatively. So would you like to give them some tips that how they actually approach these or how they actually attack some of the difficulties that they come across?
1: Sure. I think based on my experience, uh, there are a couple, th- couple of things that I would like to suggest. Uh, one is if you're not a radiobiologist by training, like I, I was not, I think that should not deter you from entering into radiation research because you could bring, uh, you know, into the foray a very d- different idea or a very different view of how how to investigate and look at things and answer questions, which would actually be very valuable to, to uh, uh, the field of radiobiology, and then you collaborate with an expert. Uh, you know, I can think about Greg Nelson or Dr. Martin huell jensen who are really experts in radiobiology, right? So you learn from them, and they probably benefit you, from you with your unique expertise. So that's, that's one of uh, my advice to, to researchers who are trying a little skeptic about getting into radiation research. And then the other um, thing that I have learned is that if I had not transitioned from a pure molecular biologist, uh, you know, uh, into as a a metabolomics or an omics researcher in general, I probably would not have progressed um, career-wise the way I have. Uh, I think it's just been a very rewarding career uh, because I transitioned. When I look back and I look at my other peers who are in the field, Um, you would be surprised to know that I was a postdoctoral fellow in 2004. I got my first faculty appointment in 2007 as an instructor, and I became a full professor in Georgetown in 2016. So, less than, you know, uh, almost, just under 10 years, I became a full professor. And I think a, a major part of that, of course I've had tremendous support from my senior leadership, Uh, for which I'm grateful. But I think a tremendous part of the success is is just because I was interdisciplinary. And uh, that helped me making building collaborations and uh, making contributions that were just valuable to a very wide area of projects, which we call as team science. And so when you become a part of the ensemble, uh, rather than just being you know, uh, an isolated researcher, I think that really increases your value in, in the field. And so to many young researchers who are next generation scientists, I would say think about being inter- as interdisciplinary as possible, be as collaborative as possible, and that way uh, you, know, you, you will have no limits to how much you can achieve.
0: Oh, that is such a good uh, tip for the youngsters. One, don't shy away from hard work take chances, change your feel, it really doesn't hurt, and absolutely keep yourself updated. And thank you so much for bringing us all these tips, and I'm sure they're gonna help a lot of people.
1: Thank you, thank you for this opportunity.